Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the instigator of the arc storm scenario, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities it serves. We also thank our individual sponsors who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. The first heavy rains of 2021 have come to California, and it's a somber reminder of the fires we just experienced, as we discussed in our last episode on debris flows. And it's also a reminder that rain is something we don't fear, but we should. In 2008, the USGS released the shakeout scenario, and with the shakeout drill, Lucy and I and a team of folks helped redefine how people thought about the science and impacts of a big earthquake. But what most people don't know, though, is that before the first shakeout drill in November of 2008, the USGS began working on its next scenario, one focused on a great flood affecting all of California. When I first heard about it, I wasn't sure anyone would care after understanding the results of the shakeout scenario with all its death and destruction and interruption to society. But as we now like to say, who's afraid of the rain? I came to learn we all should be. So today, we start a four-part series on the impacts of the rain, flooding, and cascading disasters that come from it, and what it means to the people of California. We'll be focusing on California's other big one. Ah, such drama, John. Well, I'm going to cut down a bit on the drama by starting with a bit of science. How do we even understand in the first place what our risk from floods will be? The starting point should always be the what has happened before can happen again. But actually, we sometimes don't even manage that. The assessment of flooding risk across the United States is based on records from stream gauges. And these stream gauges got installed at some point. And from then to now is what is called the period of record. And these stream gauges are little devices that are actually installed in a riverbed or a streambed, correct? Right. The U.S. Geological Survey has a water division, and of course, many states also monitor even beyond what the USGS is doing. So for any drainage, we have a record of how much water's come down it. And the hydrologists take those records and look at what level of flooding has a 1% chance of happening in any year. Maybe they're basing this off of 50 years of record. They'll see the lower levels that are really common and the higher levels that show up less often. And I'll extrapolate back and say, this really high level only has a 1% chance of happening in any one year. And that gets called the 100-year flood. But often it's based on a time period that's something less than 100 years. So we can have a situation where we know before the period when we had the stream gauges, there was some really, really big flood. And that's not being used to assess the risk of flooding in any particular location. So we have this history from before the period of record. And I think that the one that stands out and the reason for this conversation really is the winter of 1861-62. No one listening right now was around for that. In fact, probably not even our grandparents were around for that. But I know that when you led this team of scientists for two years, looking at the likelihood of such a storm repeating, it became clear that we can't ignore the information from before the period of record. 
Right. When we started ArcStorm, we had a big gathering of hydrologists just before the shakeout drill and said, how do we start modeling a synthetic flood? We've done this synthetic earthquake so people can understand it. How do we do it with a flood? And hydrologists are very concerned that you make sure that you have something where you've got a record of it. And there were even arguments that we should just repeat the 1938 floods, which were very bad floods here in California. But they then started talking about the winter of 1861-62, which I had never heard of. And my great-grandparents grew up here in Southern California, but we didn't get here until the 1870s. We didn't have a family memory of it. Most people don't. And I almost couldn't believe what I heard. Such a large storm that affected the whole state of California. It destroyed one-third of the taxable land. It bankrupted the state of California. They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't pay the legislature for a year and a half. And more than 1% of the state's population at the time died in that flood disaster. And so when you look at what it was, you go, this is an event that nobody thinks about, and it's absolutely what we should be planning for. And before we get into the details of that, this arc storm scenario, as you mentioned, was one of many scientifically based studies that the USGS developed that were interdisciplinary, that looked at different aspects of the hazard. So it wasn't in its own silo, but rather as it related to the rest of society. And so this was the second one after the shakeout. It was called arc storm. In that study, why should we think this could happen again? I mean, it's been 150 years since the last time it happened. Why do we think it'll happen again? Or have we found a way to build ourselves out of it? The first question is, is this storm so rare? Is it a black swan that it's not worth looking at? And with only 150 years of record, that can be a little difficult. But there's two reasons that we really believe it's coming again. One is that we now have a much better understanding of the physical processes in the atmosphere that lead to these really intense storms. The scientists involved have dubbed these atmospheric rivers. And when we got new satellites that allowed us to directly measure the water content of the air, we could see that rather than just this big storm spreading over the West Coast, the distribution of water looked more like an atmospheric river. I mean, we actually talk about take a fire hose, aim it at the coast of California, and maybe the center of it's going to be in Monterey, and they get four or five inches of rain in one day. And then here in Southern California, we're sort of at the edge of it, and we only get one inch of rain. So the idea that the physical processes moving water around the atmosphere is concentrating it into these relatively narrow bands, and that allows much more intense storms to happen. In fact, again, look at the history. California has more extreme events, events where you get more than, say, 16 inches of rain in a three-day period than any other state in the Union. We only see these type of really intense events, or at least historically, we have only seen them in the hurricane states and California, and California has way more of them. So we have a physical reason to say, okay, now we understand what the atmosphere is doing that would lead to these really big storms. But you still might wonder, this is only 150 years. So then we turn to geology, or you know, sometimes called paleohydrology, where we can go in and look at the geologic deposits that are formed off of rivers. Because sediment comes down the river and in a regular rainy season, the sediment gets carried out relatively evenly distributed over time, but you have one of these really, really big storms and you'll get this big slug of sediment that comes down the river at the same time and that shows up in the geologic record. 
some studies that have been done off the coast of California, off the big rivers, we can see that every few hundred years, there are extreme events that deposit a very large amount of sediment in some of these river channels. And 1862 was not large enough to create one of those big slugs. So not only is it not a black swan, it's smaller than several events that we can see in the geologic record. So when we look at that, we know that these type of extreme events are going to be happening again. Let me just clarify that, that with our paleohydraulic record, we know that this huge storm in 1862 that we have some written narrative about wasn't even what is the biggest out there that has happened in our geologic history. And as we know from previous episodes, we are in such a tiny piece of geologic time, we have to take a wider look to understand what's possible. So how do we get ready and plan for what could happen in our lifetime? Well, this is what we did with the arc storm, and it was a really interesting process because while seismologists pretty regularly create synthetic earthquakes, it's sort of how we do our science, that's not something that's a regular part of meteorology. So we went to the meteorologist and said, how do we try to understand what a storm like 1861-62 would do to current California? And what they came up with was a, a really interesting process. They needed to have complete data. The meteorologists now are out there recording a lot of parameters distributed spatially. So we know what the temperature is. We know what the wind speed is. We know what the rainfall has been. All of those records on some sort of grid. And they needed to have that sort of data to be able to create a realistic picture of what a big storm would be. What they decided to do was take two historic storms, one from January of 1969 and the second in February of 1986, and imagine what would happen if we had them in the same year. When we look at 1862, one of the reasons it was so bad is it rained continuously for 45 days by taking these two existing storm records, which actually at their interface had pretty similar meteorologic conditions, so it was pretty easy to stitch them together. That gave us something closer to one month's worth of continuous rain. So it's a bit smaller than 1862, but then we could put that over our current understanding, calculate what the rainfall would be, let it go down the drainages, try to estimate where the flooding would be, and see what happens with the current distribution of population. Even though this is smaller than 1862, the level of damage was literally four times as great as what we estimated for the shakeout earthquake scenario. And the biggest reason is because the whole state is being affected by it. And even our biggest earthquakes are only two, 300 miles long, whereas the really big storms can be affecting a thousand mile long stretch of the West Coast. So we know it's possible because we know it's happened in the past. And the change is now that we have 40 million people living here. And in 1862, I don't think we were quite that many at the time. It was about 400,000 living here at that time. And about 5,000 of them probably died in the floods. So with that knowledge, we'll continue this conversation in our next episode. So until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. 